My name is Matt. I am a pastor here on staff, and we're continuing our series this morning called Need to Know, what you need to know to have a faith that survives and thrives in a challenging world, a.k.a. the letter to the Philippians. It's a mouthful. It's on purpose. Um, I want to tell you, this past week, this past week, I went uh, on a little road trip on Tuesday. A good friend of mine came to my house, picked me up early in the morning, about 7, that's early enough for me. Um, he texted me before he came, and he said, hey, what's your uh, bagel order? And I said, what I wanted to say was E-T-B-E-C-S-P-K, which means everything bagel, bacon, egg, and cheese, salt, pepper, ketchup, which is the only way to have a bagel, by the way. But um, I used to work at a bagel shop, so it's sort of ingrained in me, that language. Um, but I texted him, you know, bacon, egg, and cheese, everything, salt, pepper, ketchup. He shows up to my house. Uh, he was picking me up. He shows up with with a bagel, with my bagel, exactly the way I wanted it. I said, this is awesome. This is a good friend. And then I looked in the cup holder, and there was a cup of Bali, large Bali from uh, Rook, with skim milk, a little bit of sugar. Uh, that was a surprise. He knows my coffee order. This is, this is a good friend. And then on, uh, on the ground at my feet was a bag from ShopRite with uh, a huge bag of pistachios in it, which is the only nut that's really worth talking about, right? Um, a bag of Pep-O-Mint Lifesavers, which if you're in the Lifesaver game, you know that's the real Lifesaver. Uh, and a, a huge bag of Rolos. If you haven't had a Rolo in a while, you've missed out on a lot of what is good about life. Okay? Anyway, this guy, he got everything I wanted, everything I love, uh, right there for this road trip. I thought to myself, this is a good friend. I have a good friend. Then I got a text message from another friend who I hadn't seen, hadn't talked to in a while. We don't get a chance to connect as much, but it's, you know, it's a meaningful friendship. He texted me, uh, like, later that day. He said, Matt, just reaching out to let you know I've been thinking about you uh, an awful lot. I hope you and your family are doing well. I would love to get together sometime soon. Praying for you. And I thought, gosh, I have really good, really good friends. And then the next morning, the morning that I actually came here Wednesday and sat down to really work on what I wanted to talk about this morning, I got this message uh, from a friend who lives in Philadelphia. I went through seminary with him. I haven't seen much of him, but he said, Hi, Matt. Praying God's blessing upon you, on Amanda, my wife, and the boys, our kids today. Hope you sense God's kindness and grace today. I thought to myself, Gosh, I have really good friends. I, I texted him back and it said, thanks, man, you too. I have sensed his kindness and grace already through your text message and through your friendship. And then I said, um, you wouldn't believe what, what the topic is I'm working on for this week. Um, it's the value of our friends in Christ. I thought, how good of God to give me such stark reminders of how good it is to actually have um, friends like this who believe the same thing that you do and who follow the same Lord that you do. Uh, friends in Christ. Now, if you are new to Park Church this morning, if you're visiting, uh, if you're someone who's not maybe even a Jesus follower, this is your first time in a church in a really long time, I want to say to you, this might feel like the most churchy sermon that I could ever give. And indeed, it kind of is, actually. Um, but I will say this. Regardless of where you are in faith or where you are in, in, you know, in relation to church or friends in church, whatever, um, I will say, 
the message here, not like my sermon, but the message has the ability to impact your life in a way that very few things actually do. Um, Because very few things have the ability to determine, to impact the quality of your life more than good friends, right? I mean, there's very few things. Like, if you choose the wrong spouse, that's something that can really impact the quality of your life. If you choose the right spouse, that also impacts it, right? Um, If you get sick or if someone in your family gets, like, that really impacts the quality of your life. But, you know, like problems with work, like we all have that. Struggles with our kids, right? We all have that. Financial problems, we all go through that. And what did Ringo Starr tell us? We all can get by with a little bit of help from our friends. Our friends are the ones who have the ability to hold us up, to carry us along, to to help us to stand when we can't stand on our own. Um, They also, because we let them into our lives, they also have the ability uh, to hurt us more than most people. They have the ability um, to make it sting more than most people. But they have the ability to help us, to carry us through. As Jesus followers, if you are one, and if not, this is what you're invited into. As Jesus followers, we should have the very best friends imaginable. We should. And we should be the very best friends imaginable. The world out there ought to look over the fence and look at what we're doing in here and say to themselves, gosh, I don't know about this Jesus character. I've heard some weird things about those people. But if that's what Christianity is about, if that's what following Jesus is all about, I got to get into that. I got to be a part. Like, our friendships ought to be one of the most effective evangelism strategies. One of the most effective ways to show the world who God really is ought to be in our friendships. The problem is that often it's not. Often, we are not very good at this. And so, what I want to do with you this morning is actually a really, really simple message. I want to help you see the value of our friends in Christ so that you can become a better friend. And I will say, um, for me, I am not very good at this. This is something uh, that I need to hear first, right? I have very good friends. My wife, if you know her, if you're friends with her, she's an annoyingly good friend. She follows up with people. She, she, cares, she does things. It's amazing. I have to see that every day. But I am not. It's not one of my strengths. And so if it's not one of your strengths too, we're going we're gonna to learn and we're going to work through this together. I need this as much as anyone here in this room. Um, the big point for the day, and I want to just give it to you so that we have it and we can talk about it. The big point is, is this. True friends help you stand firm in the Lord. This is, this is really what you need to know. This is the value. True friends help you stand firm. And um, I say this not because it's just a good idea, which it is, but this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, this is what he actually teaches us throughout his letter uh, to the Philippians. And that letter to the Philippians, if you're new to church, if you haven't read the Bible in a while, I'll give you some backstory. This is what we've been talking about all spring, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul was a guy who started a bunch of churches. Um, He kind of like converted people into Jesus followers, gathered them together, and kind of told them what they needed to do in order to like continue that life together. And he, um, at this time, he was stuck in prison, and he wrote letters to the different churches throughout the Eastern Mediterranean. Philippi was a city in ancient Greece uh, that he actually had started that church. He had been there a number of times, and he wrote them this letter. One of Paul's assumptions throughout uh, Philippians, and really throughout all of his letters, 
is that life is not always going to go the way that you want it to go. Life is going to be difficult. There are going to be external things that happen. There are going to be internal things that happen. There's going to be surprises that come and hit you. There's going to be things that you could see coming that are going to come and hit you. Um, And faith is going to be difficult in that situation. Um, For the Philippians, it was a little group of Jesus followers, probably like no bigger than what we have here this morning. And they were gathered in this big kind of modern Greek city trying to figure out how to follow Jesus together, trying to figure out faith together. And it was basically like this little band of people um, in this big city. It was kind of like them against the world, but they weren't against the world. They like were loving the world, but um, it was them in this big context. Faith in that context, it's going to be hard for that to survive. And so Paul wrote Philippians in part to tell them what they needed to know in order to have their faith survive and actually thrive in that environment. That's why Paul wrote Philippians. One of the themes throughout Philippians, when you read it, you see it again and again and again, is Paul's love for these people, Paul's affection for them. This wasn't a group of people who he tolerated or he had a good working relationship with. I mean, his heart went out to them. Like, one of the very first things he says is, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. He loved them. Um, A few of Paul's letters were written to churches that he had never been to. He never met those people. Um, He was writing because he wanted to go there. That was some. Some of the letters were to churches that he knew them and he was mad at them. And he, he, he had to correct them and change them. This one is friendship. It is a friendship letter. You see it again and again and again. Um, You see it kind of most centrally in the passage that we're going to spend our time with this morning. It's the very first sentence in the fourth chapter, the last chapter of Philippians. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm, dear friends. This is what he wants the Philippians to do. This is what he's helping them to do. But before we get into standing firm, uh, it's first important to notice how Paul thinks about those people, how Paul thinks about his friends. And he starts, if we kind of like dissect this a little bit, he starts by saying, therefore, my brothers and sisters. Now, therefore, you know English, therefore is a word that connects this with what came before, with what he wrote before. In the end of chapter 3, Paul says a lot about a lot of things. And part of what he says is, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Observe those who live according to the example you have in, in me, in us. He says, for many live as enemies of the cross. And I have often told you about them, and now I tell you even with tears. He wrote, uh, wrote, wrote, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. It's like what they get, what they want. Their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that in Philippi, there will be all kinds of people who will come in and teach you all kinds of things and try to drive you down a path that's not good for you, down a path that will lead to destruction. And then he says, but us. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, And it's from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
Citizenship um, is a concept that we're all familiar with. When Paul's talking about it here, what he means is what it's like to be a citizen when you don't live in the place where you're a citizen. So you're an American citizen um, and you travel and you live in England for a year. You live in England, but you're an American citizen, right? Everyone understands that. Um, For Paul, our citizenship is in heaven. It's with God. We might live here on planet Earth, right? Kind of like up, kind of like apart from God, but our citizenship is actually with God. That's where we belong. That's where we're most at home. Uh, for the Philippians, they would have understood this terminology in a very particular way because as citizens of Philippi, it was a Roman colony, and many of them were actually Roman citizens. So though they lived in Philippi, they were, they were, they were citizens of Rome. And being a citizen of Rome came with all of its perks and its privileges and whatnot. But the problem in like the first century then was that not everyone could live in Rome. It was the big bustling city at the time, but they had a real problem with overcrowding. There wasn't enough resources all to go to Rome. So uh, the Roman Empire, super smart dudes, they decided let's spread out the Roman Empire across this huge, you know, bunch of land, the known world basically, and let's set up colonies. Let's set up little Romes where people can be Roman citizens, but they actually live in a different place. And we'll make a little temple for them there and a little arena to see the gladiator matches. And we'll have a little bit of the culture of Rome, but you actually live somewhere else. Um, They did this because of overpopulation. They also did this because, you know, after all the wars they fought, the last thing they want, you've all seen Gladiator. The last thing they want is a bunch of angry, retired military guys coming back into town with nothing to do but revolt against the emperor. So they spread out the military guys throughout the towns. Um, And so that's sort of the way colonies work. The problem, though, with colonies is that colony life is difficult, right? Rome is the city where all the stuff is, where all the structure is, where all the safety is, right? Colonies, it's kind of like the Wild West. We've all seen enough sci-fi movies to remember that, like, when something happens in the Mars colony, like, everyone dies, right? That kind of thing. Um, It's the same here. It was a little more dangerous. It was a little more um, wild. It was a little more of a survival situation than it was in Rome. And so when Paul uses the citizenship language, thinking about being a colony uh, of heaven, right, but on earth, what he's meaning to say here is that life in this colony— Life in this colony called Earth is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. You're not going to have what you need. Things are going to be tough occasionally. It's not going to go the way you want. What you need in a survival situation is people who can help you get through it. What you need is brothers and sisters who won't run from you when things get tough, who won't turn and abandon you, right, when there's not enough. Or when there's not enough food, they're going to share their food with you because they're your brother because they're your sister, um, rather than just kind of squandering or keeping it for yourself. That's kind of what's in viewed with this um, brothers and sisters language. Brothers and sisters don't run. They are committed to one another. Brothers and sisters are in the same family. They have the same status before uh, dad, before God. They have a sort of obligation to one another that transcends most of our kind of normal relationships. We are to view our brothers and sisters here in this community, within Christ, um, in a way that outdoes even the way we view our blood brothers and sisters. You can already sense uh, the quality of friendship that Paul is kind of raising here. It really raises the bar. 
And he says, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for. The problem with brothers and sisters, and we all know this, is that because they're, you know, our brother, because they're our sister, we have like an obligation to invite them over. Like we have to invite them to the family party. Um, sometimes, you know, there's not that sort of like emotional connection. We have to do it because they're like our siblings, right? Uh, Paul says like, yes, you have to do it because they, they're your siblings. But also, we are meant to love and to long for our brothers and sisters. There's supposed to be an emotional um, connection, an affection that we're supposed to have for our friends in Christ. That word long for up there, that's a word, it's just used once in the New Testament. It's the word for um, homesick tenderness, which I don't know if you remember like going to camp or something like that and just having that homesick feeling um, for mom, having that homesick feeling for dad. That's, that's sort of the feeling that we are to have, like, for one another, like, for our, for our friends here. Now, full disclosure, I am not a feeler. That's not high on my personality test or whatever it is, right? So this is kind of like, um, this, is, this, is, this is like a little tough for me. But on the other hand, um, that friend of mine who lives in Philadelphia, who I don't get to see very often, like, there's a legitimate homesick tenderness that I have for him. Because I can't wait to see him again. I can't wait uh, to have that conversation and, you know, to have fun. Like, I can't wait for that. I cherish those moments with uh, my friends here. That's the direction that all of our friendships are supposed to move in Christ. It's a, it's a quality that's, that's really well beyond um, what we get most of the time. And it's not just love and long for, but it's my joy and my crown And joy is joy. You can imagine what that means. He rejoices in these people. But when he says my crown, this is sort of a metaphor that's a little uh, interesting. We might think it's like a king's crown, but that's not really what he means by that. What he means here, and the Philippian people would be familiar with this as it's like ancient Greece. That's where the Olympics come from. Um, At the end of a race, the people who finish the race would get that laurel wreath placed on their head. You've seen those images from whatnot. Um, That crown is for people who finish the race. That crown, uh, it's it's a looking forward. It's a looking forward to finishing this race together for Paul and his co-workers, his friends, for Paul and the Philippians. He's looking forward. And he's looking forward to the day that our Savior comes back from heaven. Remember we read that in chapter 3. That's what he's looking forward to. He's looking forward to the return of, of Jesus. And this is, um, this is an important, but it's a really easy, easy to miss detail. And that is that friends in Christ have the same frame of reference. They have the same point of view. Uh, in Paul's language, they have the same mind. And here, it's they look forward to the same thing. They look forward to the same day where uh, Christ will come back and wipe away every tear and redeem every pain and give new life to every dead. What typically happens for me, at least, when things get hard in my life is um, I kind of turn in on myself. I go solo and I think to myself that there's no hope here. There's no way out. There's no future. It's just dark. There's no, there's no light. There's no road to take forward. Um, when I can become reminded that that actually isn't true, 
When I could become reminded that, oh yeah, there's a day that I look forward to when Christ will come back, that there actually is hope, that there actually is light in the darkness. When I'm reminded of that, my situation and my ability to handle that situation changes completely. And that's just me individually. But when two people are on the same page about that, the ability that you have to remind one another of what's actually true about what's coming, um, you can handle anything. You can handle anything that comes in your way. If you have someone else around you to remind you, this is what's actually coming. This is what we're actually looking forward to. Everything changes when we live together under the same promises about the future. And so when we boil all of it down, Paul is saying we are a band of brothers and sisters doing life together in this, in this outpost, in this imperfect world, struggling together, surviving together, working together, looking forward together towards the day when Christ comes. Therefore, we can stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord. This is, this is what Paul is helping them to do. I mean, this is what he's modeling. This is what he's doing for them in the moment. He is helping them stand firm. It's why he wrote this letter. Stand firm, you can imagine, is a command that comes from the military world, of which the Philippians would have been very familiar. Stand firm, you can imagine this, it's hold your ground, even in the midst of the enemy's attack. It's the call, it's the charge to stay put, to not give in to the temptation to back down or to surrender in the face of external pressure, or to retreat when the going gets tough, or to abandon the fight, or to abandon the faith, to abandon the commander of the faith, to abandon your band of brothers and sisters here who are fighting the battle next to you. Friends in the Lord, this is what they do. They help one another to stand firm. Paul knew that these attacks would come from outside. Paul knew it would be hard. But Paul also was seeing uh, in this letter that some of this stuff would come from the inside of the community. We talked about that in the first week, I believe. And it's actually where he goes next. He says, I plead with Iodia, I don't know how to pronounce these names, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. These were two women who were leaders in the Philippian community. Um, they were known to Paul. They were two leaders, and they were of a different mind about something. And that different mind was causing a division and a split within the community. Um, another way of putting this is because they allowed their different mind to get in the way of their being brothers and sisters, they stopped standing firm in the Lord. Uh, they started falling apart in the Lord. And Paul writes them, be of the same mind. I plead. And then he says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, which by that he means like all of you. He says, I ask you, help these women. Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Help these women. That's what a true friend does. These two women, their faith was going off course. Their faith was going off track. Paul is saying, this is what friends do. This is what brothers and sisters do. This is what the family of God does. They help one another to stand firm, to stand firm in the Lord. That's what true friends do. Now, this might be and sound incredibly basic, 
incredibly like straightforward and simple and like just basic. And the thing is, I'm okay with that. Because for one thing, I don't see us nailing this as a community. No one's moved past this lesson, right? Like, I don't see us nailing this. But also, in a culture where friendship is slowly mutating into something that's actually self-serving, like I'm friends with you because of what it does for me, I follow you on Facebook and you're my friend because of what it does for me, right? Um, also that show Friends, that really set us back quite a bit. Um, just, as a, just as a culture, I don't mean with friendship, just kidding. Um, actually, I'm not. Anyway, this picture of friendship, like in this culture, it just gets lost. It gets forgotten about, and most importantly, it gets undone by Jesus followers. Our friendships don't look any different than um, the world's friendships. I mean, if you were to really think about it for a second, how many of your friends, your real friends, how many are, of you are, are confident that your friends are there to help you, to help you do this? To they are there to help you stand firm. We all have friends who are fun, right? We need fun friends. Fun is good. Fun is great. Fun is okay, actually. It's like middle of the road for me, fun. But we need fun friends, right? Um, we have a lot of friends out of convenience, right? We work together. Kids play together. Kids are on the same sports team together. Um, we live next to each other, right? Friends out of convenience. We have a lot of friends who, maybe some of us, like, we're just not even sure why we're friends with them. They kind of annoy us, and we wish, right? But, like, God has you together for some reason anyway, right? And we might even have friends that help us to stand firm, that, that, that help pick us up, that help push us forward. But how many of us have friends who you know are there to help you stand firm in this way, to help you stand firm in the Lord, and the more important question is, are you that kind of friend? Is that the kind of friend that you are? Do you see your friendships, the way you approach it, with that perspective? I am there to help this person stand firm. Is that your approach? For Paul, it was essential. That was friendship, right? If it didn't involve that, it, it was okay, but it wasn't what Paul would call friendship. Paul knew, and you know it, there's going to be times where they need it. There's going to be times where you need it. There's going to be times where your faith will go off the rails, and their faith will go off course, like it did for those two women. And you'll need to be brought back on course. There's going to be times where, in our faith, we are too weak to stand, or too sick to stand firm, too broken to lift our eyes up to God, too poor in spirit to hold on, and we need help to stand firm. We need help here. And so the question um, that really it kind of leads us to is, how do we actually do this? How do we actually help one another to stand firm? And if you've been with us through this series, uh, the answer to this question is, is going to make a little more sense than if you haven't. But the way that we help one another to stand firm is to help others see their part in God's story, to help others um, know, to help others remember their place in God's story. That's not something that Paul says directly in that passage that we were looking at, but it's something that he does throughout the entire letter. He helps them remember where they are in this grand narrative that God is telling with them in the middle. 
He reminds them that, look, things are going to get hard. Things, things aren't going to go the way you want. Things aren't going to work right. There are going to be threats from the outside, enemies that come in, right? But he who began a good work in you will see it to completion by the day of Christ. And like, that's a promise that you need to be reminded of, and Paul reminds his friends in Philippi of that. He reminds them that no matter what happens, life or death, they're in God's hands anyway. You know, he says, look at me, I'm stuck in prison. I might die the next day. It doesn't bother me because I trust in God so much. He reminds them of where they are. They're in God's hands. Their future is secure. They know the ending of the story before it begins. He reminds them of who Jesus is, of what Jesus did for them, of what actually matters. That though in the past or in the present you might be messing up, you might be making huge mistakes, you might have went left when you should have went right. But he reminds them that all of that, compared to the value of knowing Christ, all that, it's okay. It's lost. Forget about that. The only thing that counts is knowing Christ. He reminds them of what's behind, of what's to come, and what to expect, what to look forward to. Listen to the way that one commentator talks about this. I was reading this, and I thought to myself, um, this is exactly my thoughts, but it's in words that are much better than mine. This is what he wrote. He wrote, Paul's practice in Philippians indicates that one of the main activities of Christian friends is to help each other come to see our pasts, our presents, and our futures as part of God's drama of salvation. Contemporary notions of friendship and intimacy are often measured by the ability of friends to tell each other anything and everything. Conversation becomes a central practice of friendship and a primary path to intimacy, and there's a measure of truth to this. It will be important to note, however, that Christian friendships are primarily focused around a specific kind of conversation. This is a conversation in which friends help each other fit their lives into the ongoing drama of God's salvation. So if you could imagine what this looks like. It looks like the time where I'm going through a hard time and nothing's working right for me and the future just seems dark and there's no light, there's no hope, there's no way forward. It looks like a friend sitting with me listening to me, being with me in it, and finding a way to remind me, it seems that way, but God's mercies are new every morning. That he who began a good work in you, he's going to see it through to completion. For that person who's suffering a loss or a tragedy, it looks like a friend coming alongside and reminding them that I know it feels like you're all alone in this, but you're not. Because God promised to never leave you or forsake you. And here I am. I am evidence of that. For the person who's struggling with guilt, it looks like a friend sitting and listening to their confession, listening to what they've done wrong, listening to what they wish they could have done differently, and saying, that's bad, I hear you. But remember, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God puts, his trans God's put God puts our transgressions from us. For that person who's feeling betrayed or abandoned, it's a friend reminding them, you're not, because here I am. But it's also reminding them that, yes, their spouse might have abandoned them. Or, yes, their parents might not have lived up to what they should have. Or their friends did abandon them or betray them. But listen, God never will. Because God saw to it to adopt you when you had been abandoned. God made you his son, made you his daughter, when there was no one to be your parent, to make you his heir. So, 
to do this, and to do this truly in the Lord, that's the key here. The one thing that we need to know, I mean, we need to know our Lord. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But we also need to know Scripture. We need to know the story that God is telling uh, in the Bible. We need to know God's promises well enough to be able to speak it into one another's lives. Because if we don't, we will end up being helpful. We will end up giving well-meaning, good advice. And we need help, and we need good advice. We do. But the deeper you're able to drink from the well that is God's story, the better you'll be able um, to quench someone's thirst with what they need to hear. The better you'll be able to see um, where they are in God's story. And to be quite honest, that's, that's one of the reasons why we do that Bible reading plan that we want everyone to do. Because we would love it if, if, if this community was reading the same thing at the same time together. Um, Every Monday morning in our staff meetings, and granted, we're, like, we're co-workers, so we're not friends, but like, we actually are really good friends, all of us. Like, every Monday morning, um, we will sit for about 10 or 15 minutes and reflect on what that morning's reading was, regardless of what it was. And I, I got to tell you, every single Monday morning, God says something that, that, that I need to hear, that we need to hear to be able to do our work together, to be able just to live life together, um, to see the future differently. When you're attentive to scripture like that, when you actually listen, God is faithful to speak in it. The other thing we need to know, or we need to do to do this and to do it well, is we need to build in time to actually uh, have these relationships, time to actually spend with people. The assumption is the better we get to know someone, the better we will be able to fit their lives into God's story, right? And that means spending time together. It means establishing space in your life where it's probably not going to happen on its own. I encourage you to do that. I tried to meet with a friend. Um, it took us three weeks to find an hour and a half together that worked for both of our schedules. That's just the world that we live in right now. That friendship is never going to continue, never going to happen. If we don't make time for that to actually work, you have to make that time. So it's more than doing friendship out of convenience or just passing the time, but it's an intentional decision to be there for someone, to help someone else stand firm because you love them, because they're your brother, because they're your sister, because you're in it together and you know it's hard and they need your help, and because you're strong right now and they're weak, or you're weak and they're strong, and you have to be there to help pick her up, to help pick him up. That's that's what a true friend in the Lord does. And so when it comes to what the value is of our friends in Christ, I mean, the value is obvious. If you have ever had a true friend actually do this for you, this sermon is, is a slam dunk because you know the value. You can't imagine your life without that friend. You might not be here without that friend because you know you've learned that you can't do all of this on your own. You can't do life on your own. You certainly can't do faith on your own. You need other people to help you to stand firm. And you need to be that for someone else. You know what hangs in the balance. Because what happens is when we do this, when we do that for one another, if we as a community decided to invest in friendship like that here at Park, everyone here would get stronger. Everyone here, uh, faith, your faith uh, would grow and would get deeper. And we as a community would be more able to reach out into the world. We would be more able 
um, to give of ourselves because we're so much more closely knit and stronger. We would be able to care for people who have no one to care for them um, and to bear the burdens of a world around us that can't bear its own burdens. But if we have our burdens bared, borne by one another, um, we could actually do that for the world around. And when we do, the world will watch us and say, that's what I want to. And so, like, super, super simple and straightforward, uh, kind of obvious challenge is if you don't have friends like this, get them. Like, it's as simple as that, get them. Um, the way to do that here, the best way I could tell you, is uh, join a community group and commit to it, because that's where relationships like this will happen. Um, join a ministry team, do something to serve, because that's where relationships like that will happen. You can come on Sunday morning, and that's awesome. We want that. But there's too many bagels and kids to actually have a relationship like that. Like, you have to connect outside of just Sundays, and that's the place to do it. The other challenge is, if you're not a friend like this, if you aren't a friend like this, choose to become a friend like this. It's, you know, it's as simple as that. Ask God to change the way that you approach friendship. Um, start with one person, right? Start with one phone call, start with one text, and change the way that you actually approach friendship. It's as simple as that, but I gotta tell you, and you know this if you've had this, it is as life changing as that. Not just for you, but for whoever you're friends with. Let's pray. God, we thank you, first and foremost, that you sent Jesus into this world, not just to be our Lord, not just to be our Savior, not just to be God with us, but to be our friend. Lord, may we always know, deep in our hearts, your friendship, that you love us, that you long for us, that we are your joy, that we are your crown. Lord, for any person in this room who doesn't know that you are here as a friend, Lord, we pray that they would be able to seek a friend in you, God, that you would speak to them. But Lord, for all of us here in this room, we pray that you would arrange our lives to make it so that we could have these kinds of friendships, this quality of friendship. If that means saying no to some activities, or if it means scaling back, if it means making different decisions, God, help us to do that. Put the right people in our lives to be the right kind of friends for us. Um, orchestrate uh, the meetups, the communities, the seemingly um, coincidental situations where we make friends for life. Orchestrate those things to give us the friendships that we need. And for each and every one of us here, help us to be that friend. Lord, if our mode of friendship is a little bit self-serving, God, help us to put that aside and to uh, actually view friendship as a way to help one another stand firm. Help us to do that. We pray, God, that you would speak to us in a way that um, transforms our hearts and our minds to be able to really be there for other people in the way that they need. Lord, and do that so that together as a community, you would knit us together, you would bind us together in a way that makes this place strong and uh, fed. Make it so that um, those outside could be reached 
through our uh, love and that we could make new friends with the world around so that we could actually serve one another, um, serve those outside of the community rather than just serving ourselves. Lord, uh, this church, you know it, is not primarily about us or about our friends or about our relationships or about what goes on here. It's about the world around And so we pray uh, that with this, you would strengthen what does happen here so that we could be more effective in reaching those who don't know you. We lift all this up to you, Jesus, uh, in your name. Amen.